So that reading tonight is from John 4. I don't know if you are into getting your Bibles or your mobile devices open. It might be helpful tonight uh, just to have it as reference. I got a few scripture references, but plus it's a good excuse not to listen to me. You can, you know, look at your phone and pretend you're looking at scripture. Oh, I I never do that. (laughs) So uh, John 4, I want to invite everyone to stand since this is the gospel And uh, I will read verses 5 through 26. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that he is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of, li- of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, call, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you are, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true, the woman said to him. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So the theme for Lenten Wednesdays has been cleaning, right? We've been talking about the way God cleans us with his very precious blood and then connects us with the waters of baptism. And tonight we have another allusion to water, living water. Now this water that Jesus is trying to draw from the well for asking this woman to do, well, it's just a, uh, what does it say? It's a way in. 
<laughs> it's a segue to what he really wants to get to. And Jesus, well, he's alluding to this water that quenches thirst. Now, you and I, I always have my little water jug up here, and I take a drink, and then I need to take another drink. In fact, I'm thirsty right now. So that doesn't quench. But Jesus is pointing to a water that quenches our thirst permanently. Of course, this woman wants this water, right? And this reminds me of uh, Luke's sermon on Revelation. What quenches our thirst? What satisfies us? Well, Babylon, right, is the thing of the world that represents all the worldly things that people try to use to quench their thirst, the things that they look to besides the one true God to satisfy them. And it has and it will continue to always disappoint. They say one thing about idols. Idols take, they never give. Once you go to an idol, what's the idol want? For you to come back <laughs> over and over and over. So this idea of Babylon is really, a, it's a check on what the soul really needs. I got a great Augustine, you know, the, the old theologian, probably one of the best ever, if not the best ever. Augustine is right. The soul created for God will not rest until it rests in God. There is no peace, no eternal thirst quenching outside of Christ. Now for me, when things go sideways, I chase after idols. <laughs> and this is what Luke said on Sunday. A good way to identify, we all have idols, that's a given, right? Because none of us can keep the first commandment, fear and love and trust in God above all things. If you could do that, you wouldn't be sitting here. You'd be with the Lord is where you'd be. Because that's only perfect people can keep commandment number one. We all have idols. A good thing to do, especially in this time of Lent, is start identifying them. And a good one to identify them is when stuff goes sideways, what do you do? So for me, when I feel like things are going out of control, I remember when the pandemic hit, right? Or when something happens, what do I do? I'd love to say I dropped on my knees and I pray to Jesus and I don't. Usually what I do is I go right to my idol. One of my biggest idols is work. I double down. I triple down. I work because I can control that. I can see productivity. I can say I'm doing something about something even though this thing that I'm worried about is out of my control. But I'll focus on this thing I can control. Some people will run to their, check their bank account. <laughs> Some people will go to a drug. Some people will go to a relationship. Some people will go to list the idol. Now, is my job a bad thing? No. But will I elevate it to an improper position? Luke talked about vocation tonight in the opening. All vocations are equal. But there is definitely an ordering of vocation. My vocation as Christian comes before my vocation of husband, of father, of 
friend or son or worker or whatever, and I always screw that up. <laughs> so I don't know what it is for you. What is your, your go-to idol, especially when stuff goes sideways? Identify it, recognize it, call it out. One other one that I've had in my life is money. I remember when, especially when we had littler kids and, you know, things are tight. You know, you got littler kids. <laughs> I remember thinking into the future. Oh, you know, just in the future, if we could just have this paid off, or the house is paid off, then, then I'm not, this will be one less thing and I will have arrived. The house is paid off. It's still an issue because the whole time it's been a heart issue, not a numbers issue. I'm a numbers guy. It's not a numbers issue. In fact, it's almost saddening to look at my budget from 10 years ago to now and go, what is wrong? Oh, it's a heart issue. That's the problem. There, there's another idol. How about this woman at the well? She's just there to get some water. <laughs> What's the big deal? Why is she there in the sixth hour? Because she's shunned by her community. She doesn't go in the morning with everybody else because she doesn't want to hear the gossip and the backbiting and the slander against her because she's living with this fifth guy. She's shacking up with somebody. She's an outcast. And where does Jesus meet her? There. Not supposed to be doing this. Extremely countercultural. Jesus is way out of line culturally even talking to this woman much less engaging at this level of a conversation with her. But this is what Jesus does. He's not there to get a drink of water. He's there for her heart. He's here for your heart as well. It's not about temporary satisfaction. He wants eternal satisfaction for this woman. So we can read this story in a lot of different ways. They teach us in seminary. <laughs> Three levels of reading a text. Level one, read the words on the page and those words make sense to me. That word means that and that word means that. That's pretty easy. If you can read, you can do level one reading. Level two reading is, what is the author trying to tell me? What is the meaning of this text? Why did they write it down? What is the benefit for the original hearers and for me? Level two reading. Level three reading is, what does this text say about the authors or the culture or the situation from which that was written? Now, unfortunately, I would say most liberal theologians just look at number three. And they would say, this is a critique on the analysis of that culture and context and how awfully patriarchal it was in this poor woman who has shame because she's shacking up with this guy. She's an outcast. See how bad their culture was? See how bad these people are? See the divisions in the cultures here? We need to break that down. All that may be completely correct. <laughs> But if you did a level three reading of our culture and context right now, how'd that read? Not any better. What we need to focus on 
is what is God trying to tell us through this? There's value in level three reading, but not much. The most valuable thing is what is God trying to communicate to you and to me right here, right now, through this story? In John 4.10, Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is the eternal thirst-quenching water, eternally satisfying your thirst. And what is that thirst? That is your thirst for God. That is the quenching aspect of faith in Christ. And in verse 13 and 14, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Your goal in life is not just to die and go to heaven. That's thirst quenching, right? <laughs> that satisfies I have peace with the Lord. This is good to know. But what does he say? This water is welling up. It's going out. It's how you live your life. And we see it immediately in the life of this woman. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Here we are. (laughs) You're like, okay, I'm paying attention now. For those of us in the corporate world or the educational world or every part of the world, it feels like, anybody gone through diversity, equity, inclusion training at nauseum, right? Lots of hours of it, diversity, equity, inclusion, diversity, equity, inclusion. Get emails almost every day about it. Well, this story shows how Jesus is all about diversity, equity, and inclusion, Let's think about that. Diversity. We read in Revelation 7 how every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every culture will be there at the resurrection. That's a pretty diverse crowd. Male, female, black, white, doesn't matter. Super diverse, really big tent, okay? Equity. Now, don't confuse this with equality, like equal opportunity. Equity is equal outcomes, There's people that want that in our culture, right? Equal outcomes for everyone. Doesn't seem to be happening. But in the kingdom, every one of you gets treated the same. We all get the same heaven, the same Lord, the same baptism, the same faith, the same spirit. We are all treated with equity. God doesn't look at my skin. He doesn't even look at my sin. He gives me this gift free. He treats me equally. And inclusion. So who is included or should be included in the church of God? Everybody. He died for everyone. The whole idea of diversity, equity, and inclusion is a Christian thing. Jesus is the one who actually started this revolution, this super countercultural way of even saying, I don't know, women are equal with men in the eyes of God? That was crazy 2,000 years ago. Western culture owes all of that to Christianity. And it's a beautiful thing. Jesus embodies all of this in this story. 
and he will go to any length to save us. He will break cultural norms. He will go against whatever the world says to bring his kingdom. The worldly diversity, equity, inclusion is a little different. And all of us that have gone through training can recognize that. I'm, I'm all in favor of diversity, equity, inclusion. Just like Jesus. It's a beautiful thing. It is a picture of the resurrection, which tells me even unbelievers know in their hearts that this is the thing <laughs> to pursue, just like the church has been doing for thousands of years. This is the one institution that's been consistently doing this the longest, and it will continue to do this the longest. Kind of like Nicodemus. Last week I talked about Nicodemus. He's the top religious leader, right? But he doesn't get it. <laughs> it's not about your status. It's not about your head knowledge. It's not about any of those things. It's about, well, the living water that Jesus gives you through the gospel, and then will it well up? And will it go out from you? We call that passively we receive the gift, and then we actively live it out. The water analogy, well, your arrow was wrong. In the, it should be down and out, not up. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. You, if you weren't here for opening, that makes no sense. But that's it. It's like the water flowing down and then out. The free gift of salvation, and then the living waters go out from you and from me. God uses all of us. What's amazing about the way Jesus treats this woman and women in general throughout the scriptures is the high value. In our text, she goes, hey, you know, I know this Messiah guy's coming. He's like, yeah, that's me. That's the first person he tells that to. <laughs> that's crazy. Who's the first people at the tomb? The women. Rodney Stark is a Princeton-educated, I think he's Princeton, whatever, Ivy League-educated, let's go with that, sociologist. We had to read a book called The Rise of Christianity. And he points to women in the church as the way the first century church grew. Why? It was revolutionary. Women were drawn to the church because they were equal in the church. We're all part of the body Jesus is the head. One part can't say to another part of the body that you are more important. That, this is all, we take all this for granted, but that was revolutionary at the time. And the women have been and continue to be the ones who are doing, I would say, the heavy lifting in the church. How does God work? He works through relationships. He works with mercy. He works with sharing the gospel. And this is how the church has grown one relationship at a time. These early women were with the apostles as they went out. I had this conversation with somebody at work today. They watched, um, uh, what's the, the chosen? And he's like, oh, there was women with them? I'm like, yeah, it's in the scriptures, by the way. Um, yeah, they were with them the whole time, ministering to the women, serving, taking care of, doing the heavy lifting of the church. 
is this church any different? The answer is no. <laughs> this church is exactly the same. In fact, in the post-Christian era, I would say we're going to start even looking more like the early church where the women are the ones who are drawing the men back to church, this guy included. Because that woman brought me to church. Some things don't change. The value of women in the church is insanely high. The world says, oh, you can't be, you don't have female pastors, you must hate women. Oh, really? Why do we have only male pastors? Because God said so, which is enough. His apostles were all male, the prophets were all male, the male, 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 male. Which tells me being the head of a church, being the shepherd of a church, what does the shepherd do? He lays his life down, right? We're under shepherds. It's not a glorious position. It shouldn't be anyway. I think God uses lowly people. He uses this outcast woman. He uses those the world doesn't see as important. That's who he has been using, and that's who he continues to be using. So keep it up, ladies, because you're doing the work. The Holy Spirit is working through you. And the world doesn't see it. But the church sees it. I see it. And it's humbling. It's wonderful. And it shows you how God works. He doesn't work through. I mean, Luke and I are doing this thing up here. This is weird. We're just the guys you put up here. It's the church. It's the office. It's the people doing this. 20 through 30. So the woman left her jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. He's using this woman already to bring people to himself. It's an amazing story. This shunned woman is leading people to Christ. This broken sinner that the world thinks nothing of is exactly who Christ wants. All of you broken people out here, you're exactly what Christ wants to use. So this level three reading of the text, how bad the society was, true. I was watching, I mean, imagine, a hundred years ago, the women were looking for a vote in this country. <laughs> is that just crazy to think? Has progress been made? Yeah. Will progress continue to be made? I hope. But the idea of cleaning up our culture, I am all about it. I'm all about making things better for everybody. But ultimately, diversity, equity, and inclusion is kingdom work and on the last day when Christ returns and it's visible to everybody it will be well the most glorious diversity equity inclusion party ever because everybody will be there not just the white dudes like me (laughs) 
I've been talking about this with our 7th and 8th graders for a month now. They're probably sick and tired of me with it, but I'm like, oh, well, it keeps bringing its ugly head. And we have some very strong young ladies in that 7th and 8th grade group. And I hope they're encouraged to know that God is continuing to do his work with these wonderful young women. 60% of the church is female in America. Who's doing the heavy lifting? So I'm thankful for my mom, because she's the one who brought me to church, not my dad. I'm thankful for my wife. She's the one who brought me to church, because I wasn't going. I'm thankful for all the women in my life who have uh, kept me from going off the rails. (laughs) Tonight I want to end with a little bit of a story about Well, the controversies we have in our culture about the church and our role in society and how we interact and all those things, my plea to this church, and I prayed about it tonight, is that this would be a church that's welcome to everybody. Every church should be welcome to everybody. All sinners, welcome. If you're not a sinner, I guess you're not welcome. That's only Jesus. (laughs) So think about those in our, your life that are the outcast, the ones people don't think a lot about. Those are the ones that Jesus calls. We are no better than anybody else. In the eyes of the Lord, this entire body, every single one of you is important and needed and has a ministry. And we need everybody to step up. We need everybody to do what God is calling us to do. So in this Lenten season, as you reflect on that, know that Jesus Christ willingly gave himself up for his bride, the church. He bled and died for you and for me. And he rose on that third day. And the women that came and saw this first and announced it first, These are the last people that should have been the witnesses to this, according to that culture. That's exactly who he uses, again, to show God is doing the work, not you, not me. So as we move towards Easter in this Lenten season, let's reflect on the times that we've sinned, thought less of others, have not embodied those diversity, equity, inclusion things that Jesus does, and then know that the sure hope of the resurrection is for everybody. Living faith, keep being the church. Amen. Will you stand and pray with me? Dear Holy Father, I thank you for showing us the way for embodying the kingdom in your son Jesus and I I pray that we would follow his lead that we would reach out to those that the world thinks less of Heavenly Father when we think of our own sinful nature and the depravity of our own hearts that you would change those call us to repent and turn to you trust in your promises 
and then live the faith with that living water that you give us that overflows to eternal life. Amen. Receive the benediction. Will the Lord bless you and keep you? The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Have a great rest of the week.